Welcome to the Cozy Bear Farms podcast. I'm your host, Dejan Yerby, and we're about to do a produce breakdown. Now, if you don't know what a produce breakdown is, it's basically me breaking up some type of produce and giving you guys the information that you probably don't hear most of the time. I'm not going to give recipes. I'm not going to give the science behind the stuff. I'm just going to break down pretty much the basic facts of this produce. So we're going to hit an overview of the produce that we're going to do. Then I'm going to describe how to grow it. And I'm going to give suggestions. I'm going to leave links in the bio of where you can buy these seeds or the best practices and stuff like that. And then if you make it all the way to the end of the video, or if you're making it all the way to the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk about how the best way to sell this stuff. So I know a lot of farmers usually ask, hey, how should I sell this? So I'm going to cover that. So today on this episode of the Produce Breakdown, we're going to go over the most simplest and most basic produce that you can find anywhere and is at every single farmer's market, is in every single store, is in almost every single restaurant that you ever go to. I'm talking about that number one basic vegetable, kale. Everybody loves kale. I mean, some places like kale, some people hate kale, but kale usually is widely favored through everybody. So if you've been at places and you'll hear people say, oh, I don't really like kale. Most of the time people say they don't like kale because they don't know what to do with kale. So if we're going to give a complete overview of kale, kale is basically collard greens, but they do taste a little bit better. The difference between kale and collard greens are is that if you look at the leaves, collard green leaves are pretty smooth on the edges. Kale are usually ruffle or if they are smooth, they got bumpy edges on them. Now, kale does taste a lot better than collard greens. They have a lot more flavor in them and they hold a lot more nutrients. So they're a lot more nutrients dense. So that's the reason why I kind of like kale over collards, but collards are still delicious too. Don't get me wrong. Especially mine's because I grow the best collards in the world. But that's kind of the overview of kale. Kale basically are collards, but they're just a different form of collards. Just thinking of that. You can cook them the same. They, they do not taste the same. There's a complete difference in taste between collards and kale. Any chef can tell you that. But you can cook them the same. I know some people do kale chips. Some people just saute them. Like I said, I'm not going to give a bunch of recipes on how to cook kale because there's thousands of resources out there of how to cook it or how to store and all that other stuff. So now I'm going to break down how to grow it. That's one question that a lot of people have is, how do I grow kale? Or what's the best time of year to grow kale? Or how should I get my kale started and all this other stuff? So first off, let's go into what's what is the best time of year to grow kale. Best time of year to grow kale is probably going to be your spring, your fall, and your winters. Now, I excluded the summer because if you're trying to grow kale during the summer, if you're in Georgia like me, it gets really, really hot and it's very hard to start growing produce that's a leafy green when it's blazing hot outside. Now, if the green is established, like say if I grew it in spring and it holds over through the summer, it could do that too as long as you water it a lot or keep it in the shade. But if you're trying to start it during the summer, like when it's in this little transplant stage, it's going to burn to a crisp right when it gets out there. You do not want to start kale right in the summer. Now you want to start in the spring because the spring is coming right off the back end of winter. It's still pretty cool. You got enough sun out, it can grow. And usually you'll see the best looking kale in the spring. It's usually between the, uh, between winter and summer, it's a sweet spot for a really great, beautiful looking kale. Now, is it going to be the best tasting kale that you can have? No. And that's what I'm saying. We're going to go into the fall. Now, in the fall, you still get all that sun that you want, but it's a little bit cooler. And since it's a little bit cooler, sometimes kale releases sugar through its leaves and it'll taste a little bit sweet. Now, that's still not going to be the best kale that you're going to be able to taste, but it will be more nutrient dense too because you have a longer window for it to grow. Between winter and summer and that sweet spot of spring, it looks beautiful, 
but you do have a short window to grow it and actually push it out because once it does start getting really, really hot, you're going to be dealing with a lot of bugs. There's going to be a lot of bugs. If you're somewhere where it's very humid, the leaves, when they start to die at the end, they're going to cause a lot more mold. You're going to see a lot more problems. But trust me, it's the best looking kale you're going to see throughout the whole entire year. Now, when we get into the fall, when it's cooling down and all the bugs disappear and they all die off, that's great. But you got to realize, too, because it is cooler and we might not have as much sun, the kale will not look as big. Sometimes it might grow a little bit shorter because when the fall comes, you start, we start getting the frost a little bit. And when that frost comes, it starts stunting the growth of some of our stuff. So the kale is not going to be as huge and as lavish as most people kale will look. You want to try to get it as big as possible before the frost starts to come in. And that's when I'm going to bring in the winter. You do not start growing stuff in the winter. There's a process called overwintering that a lot of us farmers use where we will grow the stuff to full maturity in the fall and then we will overwinter it through the winter and then usually sell it again in the spring. Or you can sell it through the winter, but the only problem is that when you start selling it through the winter because it's so cold and there's less sunlight, sometimes the kale doesn't grow back as fast. So the purpose of growing it through the winter is though, you want it to get hit with that frost. Because if you ever had kale that made it through a frost and made it through a winter, it's the best tasting kale that you could ever have. For some reason, the frost, like I said before, the cool weather releases sugar throughout the kale and it's the most delicious kale that you will find. It's not going to look, it's not going to have the biggest leaves. It's not going to look the prettiest sometimes. It's going to look a little charred, a little bit smaller, but it's the best tasting kale that you could find out here. Excuse me is the best tasting kale that you can find out here. So if you're somebody that wants the best tasting kale, I suggest you start growing your stuff in the fall and overwintering it. Or if you're in the fall and you're thinking, hey, I wanna grow kale because you wanna hit that Thanksgiving rush, you could do kale for that too. Or if you're somebody in the spring that just wants to have beautiful looking flower, uh, not flowers, beautiful looking leaves that's gonna be on your produce stand at a farmer's market, grow it then. But let's get into how you're going to start that off. So no matter what season you're in, you always going to have to start it off doing this. First thing first, you need to get seeds. Now, a lot of people don't know where the best place to get seeds. I'm going to leave two links in the description of the two places that I buy my kale from. One place is Johnny Select Seeds and the other place is High Mowing Organic Seeds. I'm going to leave those links in the bio. Now, those are the two best seed places that I know because I rarely have any problem with those seeds. I know some people do have issues with those two companies, and those companies do not sponsor the show at all. They're not giving us no money or nothing. Those are just the two best places that I know to get seeds. I never have a problem with those seeds. Best seeds I've ever gotten, and I never really have an issue with them. Now, if I do have an issue with them, that just sometimes could happen, but they're usually nine out of 10 times the best seeds I ever got. They usually grow with 100% germination if you do it right. So you got to get your seeds. You got to pick out which seeds you kind of want to. There's different varieties of kale out there. The main ones that I would get for me personally, I get uh, winter boar is a curly green kale that is really, really delicious and is good to make with like entree dishes, like having it with a steak, having it with fish is really good for that. The next one I do is called red boar. Red boar is the same thing as winter boar kale, but it's actually red. But if you really look at it, it looks purple. I don't know why they call it red boar. It looks purple. If you really look at it, it looks purple. Most people call it purple kale, but it's called red boar kale. Red boar kale looks purple. For some reason, it's really, really sweet. Is really sweet. It's sweeter than actual green, the winter boar kale. The winter boar kale tastes delicious, but the red boar kale tastes good too. The only thing is though, when you grow red boar kale and you try to sell it to people, they get really freaked out. Like, what the hell is this? And it's like, well, it's, it's, it's purple kale. It's purple looking kale. And you just got to educate people that it is kale. Most people don't know that it's kale, but it is kale. Or some people might confuse it with Swiss chard. And that's another problem for another day. But that's the next one I do is red boar kale. You can get that from Johnny's or high mowing seeds. 
The next one I usually do is called Lacinato Kale. It's a kale that's usually straight, is curly and bumpy at the ends. Some people will call it dino kale because I guess the leaves kind of look like dinosaur skin, I guess. But that kale is really, really good for smoothies. It's easy to chop up. If you're into juicing, it's a good one for that. It's also a good kale to grow through the winter because that kale gets really, really sweet when you overwinter it. It's a lot more hardier too than winterborn red boar kale. So I usually will only grow that during my fall winter months and I'll explain that later. Um, the next kale that I would do is called red Russian. You have red Russian and you have white Russian. You can do either one. Either Both of them taste the same. Both of them look the same. It's just one the stems are red, the other one the stems are white. But most of the times with uh Red Russian, you're not really eating the stem. Most people use that again for juicing or for just quick side dishes to put in a little salads or whatever. Now with red Russian kale, I use that for baby kale. Baby kale is basically a small little version of a big size head of kale. You would chop it up when it's in its very, very young baby stages. And when it grows back, you just keep cutting it over and over and over again. That's why it's called baby kale. I sell that usually in bags and I sell it as a salad green because most of the times you use it as a salad green. And those things are good too because when they're at the little baby stage and you harvest them, you can eat the stem with them. Like you can just throw it in your salad, put whatever vinegar or ranch or whatever you want to put in your salad and just go ahead and eat. I sell that stuff during the spring. It's really light and it's really good and it's something quick that people can just make and they ain't got to spend that much time into it. But those are the varieties that I usually grow. So I grow winter boar kale, red boar kale, lacinato, and red Russian. Now, there's other types of kale out there, too. There's one I did one year, I think it was called Bria, and it's more of a summer kale. They grow it down in Brazil and Portu Portugal. I think I pronounced that right. If I, if I didn't, I'm sorry. But they grow that down there. It, now, that kale takes a long time to grow. But when it gets here, it is gigantic and it looks like giant collard leaves. They look like giant. Have you ever seen a maple leaf? You know, a maple leaf, the Canadian flag. I think that's Canadian's flag. I'm sorry, Canada. But um, it looks like a giant maple leaf leaf with this long neck stem. And the thing is gigantic. It's bigger than collard. Like collars can get pretty big with fat leaves. These things get big with fat leaves. So if you live somewhere where it's usually hot and you have trouble growing kale, that might be the variety that you want to grow. And there's other stuff too, like dwarf and Siberian, but those are just the ones that I grow and those are the ones that I suggest. And you can get those seeds from both Johnny's or High Mowing Organic Seed. And like I said, I'll leave those links in the description. But after you get your seeds and you order your seeds and they're here, Next thing you need is good soil, soil mix. You need good soil, but you need soil mix. You need soil mix because I do not suggest going out there and direct seeding the seeds. I know a lot of people say, oh, I just take my kale seeds, put them out there in the ground and just watch them grow. I highly suggest that you, I think I'm going to play the piano outside. Hold on. Yes, I'm going to play the piano outside. I highly suggest that you start your kale seeds in a greenhouse and some trays. And if you don't have a greenhouse, then there's, there's other forms of greenhouses that you can buy from Walmart. You can start them in your house. They're very, very easy. But I suggest that you start them in trays or some type of pots. Start them somewhere inside where you can keep watch on them and you can put them in really good soil mix that's very nutrient dense so that they can grow. If you don't know how to make soil mix, I highly suggest you do not go to some home improvement store and buy potting mix. Potting mix, you have no idea what, the, what what's in it. You have no idea what, what, I was about to curse. You have no idea what the heck is in it. Sometimes there's like giant wood chips in it and stuff and it's not good. You need real soil mix. If you don't know how to make soil mix, go to a farmer, see they'll sell you some soil mix or you can go to Greenhouse Megastore. I'll leave a link in the bio too. They sell this stuff called ProMix. It is real soil mix and it has enough nutrients in it that it is hard 
to not be able to grow in that soil mix. And it's all the same. When you make soil mix and you buy from a farmer, every batch is not consistent. When you buy from an actual place that makes soil mix, every bag is consistent and it has the same ingredients throughout the whole entire bag. So I, if you don't know how to make it, those are the two options you have. Go find a farmer who does know how to make it and buy some from them, or you can go to Greenhouse Megastore and buy ProMix. Now, it might be a little bit more expensive, but it's going to be worth it. And again, Greenhouse Megastore is not sponsoring this show, so do not think that this is an ad for them or not. This is just me telling you guys um, the best place to get soil mix. And if you need trays, if you need trays, you can go to a farmer and find some trays, or you can buy them from Greenhouse Megastore too. Now, the trays that I suggest you get are the 72 single cell, not single cell, the 72 cell trays. The 72, there's 72 cells uh, in this one tray. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be like, I don't need 72. Well, you can do 36s, you can do the single pots, you can do whatever you want. But if you're a farmer and you're doing it for production or if you're just a gardener, get 72. The reason you want to get 72 too is because every seed is not going to germinate. That's the hard truth of it. It's very hard to get every single seed to germinate in your tray. That's just a hard thing to do. A lot of people cannot do it. I can barely do it. Sometimes I will get close, but I'll see maybe six cells that didn't germinate. It's very hard to do. If somebody can do it, kudos to you. You probably got the best seeds in the world and you probably got the best soil mix in the world, but it's very hard to germinate the whole entire tray if you're using natural practices too. Because if you do have the whole entire tray germinated, I might want to question you on some stuff. But that's what I'm saying, get set a 72 tray because you're not gonna germinate every single seed. So you wanna plant as many seeds as possible so that you can get a huge amount back. Because if you do do the 36s, the 36s is basically 36 cells, but they're gigantic. And you usually use those for like squash and stuff. But if you put all the soil mix in, that, in those cell trays, cause there's, they're a lot bigger than 72s too. If you're a farmer, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a gardener, you know what I'm talking about. They're a lot bigger, but I do know some people that will use them to start their kale. I just wouldn't do it. It's a lot of wasted money and time going into those things because every seed is not going to germinate. It, they're just not. So let's go back over. You got your seeds, you got your trays, you got your soil mix. Now you put your soil mix into trays and you press down on the soil. So you fill the tray completely up with soil, right? With soil mix. You can fill the whole tray up with soil. A lot of people will stick their finger into the hole of the cell tray. And they will say, oh, the things that you got to go one inch deep. So I'll put my whole finger in there and go one inch deep. I don't suggest that. Those seeds are so small. They need to be a little bit closer to the surface so that they're able to germinate and poke out through the soil. You do not want to put them so deep that they're struggling to get all the way up. Don't do that. Take your finger, go sideways, and just press. press. It's like pressing a button. Just press the soil down. Take it out. Look, feel, look at your soil tray. Think that you're finna press a button and just press. I'm finna do it on my microphone right now. So if you're watching this, you can see press. Press it down some and put one seed in each cell. You'll see a lot of people doing the double seed. I would not suggest doing double seeds. I suggest just putting one seed in each cell. If you do double seeds, sometimes the seeds will mix with each other and they won't germinate because they got all tangled with each other. And you'll see this green kind of fungus thing looking on the soil. And it's because there's too many seeds and they were close together and they didn't really germinate. Or if they both do germinate, you're going to have to go through there and thin out each one. Because I remember at one farm that I was working at back in the day, somebody put two seeds in each, in each cell tray. Well, their cell tray had a bunch of those green spots, and then another one of their cell trays had double of everything. So I remember the farm manager came back and told us that we had to take scissors and cut off 
the extra one because it can only have one in each cell tray. And there's a lot of extra work that you just do not want to deal with. So put one seed, one seed in each cell. And now you put one seed in each cell, you can do two things. You can either go out and buy this stuff called vermiculite, fine, great uh, vermiculite, very, very fine. It looks like sand. You can go buy from a home improvement store. If you have a local seed store or a local gardening store, you could buy vermiculite from there. Or you can, wait, let me finish. Hold on. Sorry. The piano got me distracted. Guy was wailing out there. Um, take the vermiculite and sp sprinkle it over the seeds. Don't cover the tray back over with soil and then put vermiculite. No, after you press down on the soil and you put your seed in there, take vermiculite and sprinkle it over it. And that will be your cover over your cell tray. The reason you would do that is because the vermiculite, it covers it, puts it in darkness. It absorbs the uh, water a lot better. And when your stuff does germinate, it's a lot easier for it to uh, sprout out from the tray. It'll save you a lot more time. So you can go and buy vermiculite for that reason. So again, because I've, I've told people this before, they will do the whole tray, press, put the seed down, then put another layer of soil over it and then put vermiculite. No, press, put the seed down, vermiculite, then water. Or you can do the, I'm just going to put soil back over it. You could do that too. You could do those two options. If you put soil back over it, make sure you put a fine layer of soil back over it so that the seeds can shoot up, so that they can shoot up a lot easier. But you can do those two options. After you do that, make sure you douse it in water. Do not pelt it with water do not pelt it do not put the water hose or your whatever you're going to water this stuff and just pelt those seeds down because if you do that sometimes the seeds will move around or maybe they'll wash off you want to hit it with a lot of water but you want to hit it gently with a lot of water so what i do i put my hose on mist and i will sit there and it's it going to take a while but i'll sit there and just mist it for a long 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 time it's really, really annoying, but that's just what you got to do sometimes. That is what you got to do sometimes. You got to sit up there. I remember one time I was sitting there for like 10 minutes with a mister, just misting all these trays. It's fine. It's good. I mean, it's going to work out for you in the long run just to mist it. Just mist it. Do not pelt it with a bunch of water. Do not beat down on it with a bunch of water because those seeds will move around and they might wash off. And then you're going to be like, dang, where all my seeds go? Well, they washed off because you pelted the whole thing full of water. Just sit up there and mist it. And you're going to have to do that for a couple of days. Just mist it, mist it, mist it, mist it, mist it. Now, kale seeds usually take seven to 10 days to germinate. Germinate, if you don't know what germination, germinate or germination means is when the seed finally sprouts and you start seeing the little green head coming up and it's developed its roots and it's poking out of soil and it's about to start growing into the actual thing. It, it takes seven to 10 days to germinate and you need to make sure that it stay water in those seven to 10 days and you need to make sure that it can get light on it. So if you're doing it from your house, put it by your window. Put it by the window or if you have somewhere outside where you know birds or, or animals are not going to get into it put it outside where you get enough sun on it if you have a greenhouse set it out in your greenhouse and wait for it to germinate in seven to ten days or if you're a professional you have a germination chamber a germination chamber is basically a giant hot box that you could put your uh, trays into and you keep it at a certain temperature because it stays very, very humid in this thing. Is is think of it like a sauna. Think of it like a, a, a sea sauna. It's very dark. It's not, it doesn't have a lot of light in it, but it's very, very humid and it's very wet and hot in there. Usually when you do it with uh KLC, these are for the professional farmers right now. You gardeners and people just sit back for a second because you guys are probably like, what the hell is the germination chamber? This is for the small scale farmers right now. You can build a germination chamber out of anything. There's tons of videos showing how to do germinate, how to make a germination chamber. I'm not gonna get too much into it because I'm trying to hurry up with this video too, because I don't wanna be wasting you guys time. But if you put it in the germination chamber, leave it at 75 degrees and usually your stuff will germinate in three days. So that's a lot more fun. 
than waiting seven to 10 days. So you have a germination chamber, put it in the chamber, and usually it will germinate in three days. Or if you're lucky, it might germinate in a day. I've been at some places where we'll put it in the uh, germination chamber and it germinated in a day. You had to take it out. Now, when it's in the germination chamber, you do not want to leave it in the germination chamber for too long because since it's so hot and humid, when those things germinate, they're going to be looking for light and there's no light anywhere. So when you pull them out, sometimes the sprouts will look like they're going all over the place or sometimes they might shrivel up because it's just too hot and humid in there. So when you're looking in your germination chamber, if you use the vermiculite trick, if you see the little hills forming, that means that your seeds germinated. You need to pull them out now, put them out in your greenhouse, water, and then they'll sprout up the next day. So that's what you need to do if you have a germination chamber. But let's move on. So you waited seven to 10 days. Your stuff germinated. You're excited. You're happy. You're like, yay, my stuff finally germinated. Now you got to wait probably a good month before your stuff looks like it's ready to plant outside. Yeah, a good month. Usually I will wait two months before I plant it outside. So I'll start my stuff in my greenhouse. So if I was planted for the spring, I usually start my stuff in my greenhouse in January and then I plant it in March. So through that time of you're waiting for your stuff to grow and it's getting bigger and bigger, First, you see the little cotyledons. The cotyledons are the little leaves that look like earlobes. Then you'll start seeing the true leaf. And the true leaf is what the actual leaves of the plant is going to look like. So when you get to that stage, then it's going to start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Then they're going to get full grown. And then you'll be able to plant them. Now, a lot of people made this mistake too. The minute they see their stuff germinating and they get past the true leaf stage, they want to take it and put it on the ground already. No, you're going to have to wait for the roots to kind of establish that little cell. So sometimes people don't want to wait for the little root ball at the bottom. When you take your um, transplants, because now these are called transplants. Now we moved on to the stage of transplants. When you take them out of one thing, you're transplanting them into the ground. Most people, when they take their transplants, they don't want to have that little root ball at the bottom. I kind of want to have that little root ball at the bottom because that shows me that it's time to plant this stuff. And the best way to know that there's a root ball at the bottom is when you tug on your transplant and you pull it out. If it doesn't take that whole block of soil with it, then the roots have not really established through the whole entire thing. You want to wait till those roots establish through the whole entire thing before you pluck it out of the tray and stick it in the ground. Now, I know a lot of people will be like, well, the roots are going to get messed up once you put them in the ground and all this other stuff. Nope. When you take it out of that that tray you put in the ground the roots know hey i have all this room now so i'm going to spread out this way that's what they're thinking they're going to spread out that way it's the same thing with another concept that if you want to do is called soil blocks i usually don't suggest doing soil blocks with kale but a lot of people do it if you don't know what soil blocks are soil blocks is basically a block of soil you use this machine or this contraption to take a bunch of wet soil and mold it into a block. And in the top of the block, there's a little dibble in it and you would drop your seed in that, cover it, set it over. Same process with these trays. And when the thing is big, you can just take it, sit it right out there in the ground. Or when it germinates, you can take them and put them right out there in the ground. Soil blocks are great, but they are a little bit more expensive to make and they're a lot more time consuming. We'll make another video about that later, but if you want to do soil blocks, you can do that concept too, but I'm going to stick strictly to the trays right now. So when you got the trays and your stuff is full grown, it got a little root ball at the bottom, you take it out and you put it in the soil. Now when you put it in the soil, you need to make sure you have good soil. You might want to go out and do a soil test, or if you're really, really good, you can look at your soil and say, hey, my soil looks great. Or you could put amendments out there to make sure that your soil is good. You could put fertilizer out there, whatever you want to do, put compost, do whatever you want to do. But whatever you plant it in, you need to make sure that the soil is good. Now I'm saying compost because a lot of farmers, they will just go out and buy that black gold compost and just fill up their whole entire row full of that stuff. And you're basically going to be planting into the compost. That is completely fine. I know a lot of people will say, hey, that's not really the soil. That is completely fine. Compost, you can plant directly into compost. 
and I'm talking about finished compost, black gold, finished compost. If you you can make your own compost or you can buy it from a landscape company and they'll deliver it to your house. But planting in straight compost is completely fine. You can do that too. Sometimes the kale grows better in this straight compost, especially if you don't have the best looking soil. You might want to just plant straight into compost. So getting that wheelbarrow out, making sure you're keeping your back straight and you just make your rows out of compost. You could do that entirely and that's completely fine. Or if you have really good soil, you just plant directly into the soil. Or if you have raised beds and your raised bed is filled with soil mixed with compost, or you have like raised bed mixed uh, soil with some companies do, you can plant it right in there. But if you're not entirely sure that your soil is good, you can go out and get amendments. You can go out and get fertilizer. You can go out and get fish juice. You can do whatever you want to try to make the soil a little bit better to help out your plants. Now, this is one trick that I do. Before I transplant my stuff, I hit it with some fish emulsion. Fish emulsion is basically this fish poop. It's fish poop in liquid form. It smells really, really bad. But what I would do is I would take um, two ounces of fish emulsion and I will put it in a watering pail and I will water my stuff with the fish emulsion before I take it out there in the ground. It kind of gives it an extra boost in nutrients before you put it in the ground and it kind of helps it establish more in the ground too because it has a very high charge of nutrients before you put it in the ground. I'm saying nutrients a lot because I just want to keep this extremely simple. So nutrients is the word of the day. So before I take it out there into the field and I plant it, I hit it with some fish fertilizer. Again, that's two ounces of fish fertilizer mixed in with like a five gallon uh, pail of water and you just mix it all together, chunk it, do the whole shaky shake. And then I water my kale with it before I put it in the ground. Now, when you do that, you take it out there to your field or to your raised bed or wherever you're planting in and you dig a little hole. You don't dig a super deep hole. You just dig a hole where you can put the block in and cover it back and you want to tuck it in. I know a lot of people would do this mistake where they'll take the transplant, they'll dig a little hole and just lay it in there and then walk away. No, you need to cover it back up with dirt and you need to tuck it in. Tuck it in like you're tucking your child in at night. When I used to leave volunteers, I would yell at them all the time, hey, cover the stuff up with the dirt that you just dug out with and tuck it in. Leave the neck of the transplant up. Do not bury the whole entire thing and tuck it in. And I always said, tuck it in like you're tucking your child in at night. A lot of people are like, what the hell are you talking about? But that's what I mean. Tuck it in like you're tucking your child in at night. Don't worry about what else is going on. It'll be fine. Sorry, got a message. But um, yeah, tuck it in like you're tucking it in at night. Don't don't just leave it bare. Don't just leave it loose. You need to tuck that thing in so that it gets wrapped into the soil. And so the seeds know, hey, this is my new home. Uh, not a seed. So that the plant know that this is my new home and I need to spread this stuff out. Now, I have all this room that my roots can grow. Now, when you go out there and you're planting, depending on how you want to do it, if you, if you want to have baby kale, so let's backtrack this some back. So if you're going to do the trays, the only stuff, the only variety of kale I would use for the trays was that winter boar, red boar, and the lacinato kale. For baby kale, I just told you guys I would not put my seeds out there for, for kale and watch it grow. If you're doing baby kale, Baby kale, the seeds are planted a little bit closer together because it's going to make this long bush of kale. You're going to see this long giant bush of uh, red Russian kale and it's going to be baby. So it's going to be packed together. So if, if it was me, if you have this thing called a Jang cedar, is a cedar where it has these little wheels in it that has little seed holes. And when you run that Jang cedar along your bed, it will drop the seeds um, spaced out correctly. 
Or if you don't have that, you can go out there with a stick and make a line in your bed and just drop the seeds in there. But they're pretty packed close together and that's how they grow as babies. If they're really close together, they don't grow as big because they're fighting for space. And so they come out baby form and that's how you have baby kale. Now, if you're gonna do baby kale and you're gonna go out there, direct seed it and water it every single day so that it germinates. And when it starts to grow, you need to make sure that you harvest it every single time because some people will let their baby kale get so big that it actually turns into full blown kale. And then it's like, hey, you just have really, really big kale bunched up together and you'll start seeing a lot more diseases and mold. So that's baby kale. That's quick step with baby kale. If you want to do baby kale, there's a quick step with that. Just go out there, direct seed. If you have a raised bed or if you have normal beds, just go out there, direct seed it, water, and you're done and watch it grow. Baby kale usually takes 25 to 30 days to grow. So that's quick. That's done. I usually do it again for the spring because it's quick, it's simple, and it's easy. Now back to the actual big kale. When you're out there planting your kale, you kind of want to space them out at least a foot or 18 inches apart. I usually do a foot just so I can get as much kale in there as possible where it still has enough space so it can grow pretty big. But if you just want to make sure that it has really good space, do 18 inches apart. Now you'll see some places say, oh, do eight inches apart. That's too close. I mean, it's, it's not close enough to do baby kale, but it's too close for it to even make sense to have full blown out kale. So you kind of want to just keep it between a foot, 12 inches to 18 inches. You want to keep it in that little sweet spot if you want to have big kale. So as you space that out, and that's going from horizontal and vertically, have it a foot apart horizontally and have it a foot apart vertically. If you're looking at a graph, it's kind of hard to describe on video, uh, on audio. And if you're seeing this on video, it's kind of hard to explain. But if you're just, say you're um, looking at your row right now that's two and a half feet wide, you want to make your kale at the start. You want to plant two, you want to plant two kale at the start of your bed and have them a foot apart from each other. And then when you start planting it down the row, you want to make sure that each kale is a foot apart across from each other and a foot apart down from each other or 18 inches apart from each other and 18 inches down from each other. And you want to do that and cover up the whole entire bed. That's why you want to space them out. I used to say this back in the day when I used to teach interns and stuff about how to grow stuff. It doesn't matter how far apart the kale is. So again, if you want to grow a bunch of kale and have it as big as possible, you can space them out as far apart as you want. You want to care about how close you put them together. Now I'm going to tell this story about how I did my royal mess up when I first started off. I remember when we first started off doing kale and it was with my farm mentor, he gave us these trays and said, hey, you're going to put this kale in this row and you're going to fill up the whole entire row. Now me, I wanted to put as much kale as possible in that whole entire row. So I packed all these big transplants in this whole entire row. And when my stuff started to grow, it got all clumped up together. It got big, it looked weird. There was a lot more mold and my stuff ended up dying. I looked at my farm mentor and I was like, hey, what happened? He was like, you planted it way too close together. You planted it where it was close enough to where it couldn't even be you planted it where it was far enough where it couldn't be baby kale, but you planted it too close to where when it got big, it just started getting all moldy and I had all these problems. And again, you, you don't want to do transplants with baby kale because you have a one individual plant getting really, really close. When you do baby kale, there's a bunch of seeds close together, so they're all going to grow. And like I said, they grow to a baby size. But if you have transplants, you do not want to put them so close together that they can't grow, but it doesn't matter how far apart you put them. So if you want to put them a mile apart from each other, it does not matter that kale is going to grow full size and you ain't got to worry about it. So again, but if you want to do this for production and if you want to do this to actually get a lot of food out of one, out of one row, you want to do it between 12 to 18 inches apart. That's just me. You can do whatever you want, though. I'm just giving you guys suggestions. So after you put it in the ground, kale, once you put it in the ground, 
on the label is going to say, hey, it takes 63 days to grow. A lot of people think, oh, that 63 days is when the seeds start and I put it in the ground and when it goes all the way over. No, it's 63 days from after you put it in the ground. So once you put it in the ground, it's going to be 63 days before it's full grown and mature. Depending on some places, you might have it a lot quicker. Depending on how good your soil is, you might have it a lot quicker. If you have a bunch of sun and it's nice weather, you might get your kale in 50 days. But usually it's going to take 60 to 63 days before we have full blown out kale. And that's fine. A lot of us need to wait. And that's why you plan out your whole season. If you're a home gardener, it's fine because you know this is going to be a longer journey than actually getting what I'm trying to say. You know this is going to be a long journey to getting to what you want. So 63 days, a lot of people are going to think, man, that's two months. Two months fly by, especially when you're seeing the progression of your stuff growing. So when it's in the ground, the first two weeks, it's going to look like it ain't doing shit. It's going to look like, hey, what's going on with you? Why don't you get big? But once it starts getting to that like fourth to fifth week, that sixth week, the thing is going to explode and look big. There's a moment where your stuff, where you go inside one day, it doesn't look like it's doing anything. And you go out there the next day, it just shot off and it like it's big. And you're like, oh, it, it's growing, growing now. It's growing, growing. And you're like, wow, why is this happening now? But it's growing, growing now. And that's the process that we want to see when we're farmers and we have a date that we need to have this stuff done there's a whole bunch of anxiety until you get to that point where you see yourself fully growing and the reason it's fully growing is because now you know your transplants have fully established into the ground and they're starting to shoot off and grow and get bigger because the roots finally said, hey, we have enough room that we can grow. And they're starting to pull all the nutrients from the soil and feed it back up to the, to the leaves. And the leaves are just growing and they're flourishing and it's amazing. So those are the steps that you kind of want to see when you're growing kale. And once you get to that 60, that 60 to 63rd uh, day, you have kale. It's that simple, it's that easy. A lot of people make it a lot more complicated than what it is, but it's that simple and that's and it's that easy. Now, when it's growing too mature, you want to make sure you keep it weed free. You want to make sure that there's no weeds around it so it can fully grow. Now, when it's fully mature, if you're really, really busy and you can't really stay on top of weeds, that's fine because all you want to do is make sure that the plant grew full mature before the weeds came. If you're ever growing anything, you want to make sure that your stuff is growing ahead of the weeds. And you want to make sure that your stuff is, uh, is established and mature before the weeds start to come back. Because if your stuff is done, whatever weeds come in there, they're not going to steal any nutrients or benefits from the soil of whatever your main crop is trying to grow. I mean, your main crop is, your main crop is trying to get. So now you have kale. It's that simple. It's that easy. Was it that hard? No. Does it sound easier than, than what it is? Yes, it sounds a whole lot easier and it's gonna be a lot more difficult to do it, but those are the steps that you need to take and those are the steps that I use to make sure I grow my stuff. Now, some people are gonna hit you with that, oh, everything I grow dies. No, it's not everything that you grow dies. It's probably because you're not taking care of it that well. You need to make sure you stay on top of watering. You need to make sure you stay on top of weeding while the stuff is growing. Even when it's in the transplant stage, you need to make sure you stay on top of when it's growing in your greenhouse or when it's growing in wherever you're trying to grow it at by the windowsill or outside. You need to stay on top of it. You need to make sure you're watering and you need to make sure it gets a lot of sunlight. Everybody can grow. I have seen people that say, hey, I'm the worst grower in the world. I will tell them these steps and then they'll come back to me and say, hey, I was able to grow some kale. And that's all I want to hear. Everybody can grow. Everybody has a green thumb. Their thumbs are not as green as mine, but everybody has a green thumb and everybody's able to grow. You just got to make sure that you're using the right practices to make sure that your stuff is good. A lot of times people might have really bad soil and they just don't know about it. Uh, sometimes they might overwater their stuff. That's a really big thing too. Some people might overwater their stuff. If you're growing it in the trays and you see that the stuff is already damp and wet, don't water it. Wait till it fully dries out, then water it again. Or when you take it out there in the fields, sometimes you might overwater it out there in the fields. If the ground is still wet, wait for the ground to get dry and then water it. 
or if you have a water schedule, stick to the watering schedule. Don't say, hey, I see that it's super dry today because you don't know how dry that soil is. You can do the finger test. Take your finger, stick it right into the soil. And if it's wet underneath that dry layer, you need to leave it alone. So stick to the water schedule. But it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. And hopefully that helps a lot of you gardeners or a lot of you small scale farmers saying like, hey, I can grow this stuff. It's that simple. Now, if you sat through this whole thing and you're like, hey, Dejan, I heard you, but I don't want to do any of that stuff. It's just still too hard for me. I still kill everything. Only other thing I can tell you to do is you just go buy your transplants from another farmer or you buy your transplants from one of the farmers that sells transplants. There's a ton of farmers that have plant sales. You can buy your transplants from them, but you still need to use the same methods that I said with the soil and make sure it stays weed free when you take it to your place. If you just like, I have no, uh, I have no energy to start my own stuff. I just want, I just want it so I can plant it buy it from a, a farmer that's doing a plant sale, but make sure you do the research on that farmer to make sure that they are growing their stuff correctly and that they're using good practices. If you're in the Athens area, if there's a farmer that you want to buy some stuff from, it's not me. There's one farmer that I highly suggest that you buy transplants from or starts from, and that's Heartsong Herbs. Heartsong Herbs is an Athens-based herbal tincture uh, place is ran by Dana. She has some of the best transplants I've ever seen. Her plant sale is over by now, but usually if you catch her when she's doing her plant sale, it'll be the best transplants you'll find. And there's other farms too in this area, but that's just the best one that I know of. But there's other people too that I probably don't know of that's selling theirs too in the Athens area. Or if you're just somebody anywhere, just find a farmer who might have some leftover kale that they didn't plant and just say, hey, can I buy this kale off of you? And most times farmers will say, yes, yes, you can buy this kale off of me. But those are the steps that you need to take. It's not that hard. It's pretty easy. Kale is the most easiest thing to grow. I've never seen anybody have problems growing kale. Or if somebody said they did have problems growing kale, I'll tell them these steps and they're able to grow it correctly. So that is the portion of how to grow it. If you don't have, if you, if you have no interest in selling this stuff, you can stop the video now. But if you do have interest in selling this stuff, we're going to break down how to sell kale and mainly how to sell kale to three different places. We're going to talk about how to sell it in a CSA. We're going to talk about how to sell it to a restaurant. And we're going to talk about how to sell it at a farmer's market which is gonna be very, very detailed. So if you, if you have no interest in selling this stuff, then thank you guys for listening, but we're gonna move on to how to sell it. Now, talking to the real farmers or the real market gardeners or the conventional farmers, this is how you can sell your stuff and make a profit off of it. We're gonna go first into the CSA. Now, CSA is Community Supportive Agriculture, and you already know what it is. It's a subscription box that people pay in advance to get produce from, from you, and all you have to do is deliver it, or they might come and pick it up from you. Now, if you're going to do kale for selling in a CSA, you need to grow different varieties of kale. A lot of problems that people have with CSAs is they say they get the same stuff every single time. They're like, hey, sometimes I don't want the same thing every single time. So it's good to grow different varieties of stuff. So those five varieties that I said would be good for a CSA. And you can cycle them out every single week. So week one, you can do the winter boar. Week two, you can do the lacinato. Week three, you can do the red boar. Week four, you can do the red Russian. Week five, if you're growing that Bria kale, you could do the Bria kale. So it's good to have different varieties of stuff. And you need to let the people know beforehand, hey, we have different varieties of things, so you will not get the same thing every single time. And if your customers who are in the CSA, if they like a certain type of kale better, then you could just tell them, hey, 
we can either sub out your kale this week for the kale that you want, or you can just come to us directly and buy it from us directly. You could do that, especially if they're coming to your place to pick up your box. Or if you're delivering it, you can call them or email them ahead of time and say, hey, I saw your message of you like the Lacinato kale more than the winterboard kale. Would you like Lacinato kale instead? And you can charge them a little bit extra to switch out the box. And most times that I've seen, people do not mind saying, hey, I'll pay a dollar extra to switch out my kale this week or $2 extra, however much you wanna charge for a substitution in the box. Some people don't mind, or if you don't charge them at all, that is a good way to establish a loyal customer who's like, hey, this person went out their way to switch out something in this box and I'm gonna stick with them because they did it for me, so I'm gonna be loyal to them. So if you're having a CSA, you want to make sure that you have different varieties of kale so that you can rotate them out when you're selling them through the CSA boxes throughout the whole year. Because I don't know how many times I've talked to people and they said, hey, I really do not like that I get the same thing every single week. Sometimes I want to change it up or maybe I just don't like this type of kale anymore. I want to see something different. So have different varieties that you can change out every single week. Now, I know some people are going to be like, hey, what about the harvesting and stuff? Put on a harvesting schedule. You can harvest the stuff down bare to the bone one week. And if you're moving on to the next kale, that one kale that you harvested all the way down to the bone, give it a good two to three weeks to grow back. And about time it grows back is back in this rotation to be back in the box. So that's one suggestion I have for the CSAs. Have different varieties of stuff in your CSA and promote that you have different varieties of stuff in your CSA so that people know they're not getting the same exact thing every single time. People don't like that. People don't like that repetition of that. Some people wanna see something new. So that's for the CSA. Now, let's move on to the restaurants. If you're selling to the restaurant, I suggest you stick with a kale that is very high yielding and produces a lot really, really quick. Now, I'm only gonna suggest two types of kale for that. And the reason I'm saying this too is because the restaurants, if, if they rock with you, if they really dig your produce, they're gonna want a lot of it. So you need to make sure you can deliver it every single week. Now the two kales I'm gonna to suggest too are the two that probably have the most flavor in them and they're the quickest to cook because a lot of restaurants and chefs, they can cook anything if they're really, really good, but sometimes they're gonna want something that they can cook quick and they wanna put it in an appetizer or they wanna use it as a garnish in the dish. They wanna be able to cook it quick and they wanna make sure it has a ton of flavor in it so that they can have a big impact when they take it out there to their customers. So the two kales that I suggest is the red Russian baby kale, because you can harvest large amounts of that really quick and it grows back really quick. Once you harvest that whole row of baby kale, it'll be back the next week. It'll start being back the next week. And especially you have multiple rows. You can harvest each row once a week. And so say you have four rows of baby kale. You harvest the first row, you move on to the next row, you move on to the next row, you move on to the next row. Once you harvest it at fourth row, that first row that you harvested is back full grown, ready to be harvested again. And it's very high yielding, very, very high yielding. You can get a lot of baby kale off a small piece of land. So that's one thing I would suggest. And it's really quick for the restaurants to use too. Either they can cook it or they can put it in their salads. Because again, restaurants, if they rock with you, they're going to order a lot because if they're a really good restaurant, they have a high demand and they want to make sure they have the supply to meet their demand. So you want to be able to bring in a lot of stuff from them because sometimes restaurants might order from you twice a week. A lot of people think, oh, restaurants are just going to order once a week. If it's a good restaurant where it's popping, they're going to, they might order from you twice a week. I've sold to restaurants where they call me three times a week and they're like, hey, do you have this stuff? And sometimes I have to tell them no. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I got it. But I'm not a big restaurant seller. I usually stick to one lane. But if you're selling to a restaurant, 
baby kale is one thing I highly suggest you grow to sell to the restaurant. And you want to make sure your baby kale is on point. It looks delicious because when you take it to the restaurant and you're trying to pitch them your story about why you should buy from them, you need to take a sample of your baby kale to them so that they can taste it. And then their engines and their brain will start going saying, hey, I can make this, I can make this, I can do this with this. So you need to make sure that your baby kale is on point. The second variety I highly suggest that you grow is lacinato kale. It's the same kale that I said is good for juicing and it's very easy to cook because it's a straight leaf. You can cut it, you can eat the stems with it and everything. That lacinato kale is probably the most high yielding kale that you can find because the leaves come out in bushes. Winter board and red board kale, when you pick those leaves, it's going, it, there's not a lot of leaf on the plant. Lacinato kale, you're probably going to see 20 leaves on one plant. And when you harvest it, you're going to see probably another 20 leaves in a few more days. Lacinato kale shoots out a lot of leaves at once. And again, remember, I said it's the most delicious tasting kale too. It has a lot of flavor in it. So when you take it to a restaurant, those chefs are going to want the thing that has a lot of flavor in it and they can cook really quick and put in their dishes. Now, some restaurants might say, hey, I want something that's got some color in it, some vibrance in it. Then you might want to just hit them with that red board or winter board. But trust me, a lot of restaurants are going to want that lacinato kale. A lot of restaurants, when they're cooking kale, they chop it up, they put it in their salads, or they chop it up and saute it and put it in a garnish. They're going to want something that they can get a lot out of and that they can cook really quick because they need to take it out there to their customers. So lacinato kale is really, really good for that because it has so much flavor in it that those restaurants going to be like, yeah, give me a ton of that. And you'll be able to produce a ton of it too because it's so high yielding for a big kale crop. And it has so much flavor in it. I cannot express how much flavor is in lacinato kale. It's so good. It's so good. So those are the two varieties that I would take to a restaurant and sell to a restaurant. And plus two, lacinato kale and baby kale. When you sell to a restaurant, you're probably going to be selling it by the pound. Those things are pretty heavy. When I say nutrients dense, nutrients dense makes the stuff a lot heavier. So you can sell a lot to the restaurants and you can get a lot of profit back off of those two because they're very heavy when you put them in the pounds. Now, winterborn red board kale, they're heavy too. But again, like I said, they don't produce a lot on the plant. So you're going to want something that produces a lot on the plant and it's very heavy. So then when you take it to the restaurant and sell it by the pound, you can get some money out of it. Now, we're done with restaurants, we're done with CSAs. Now, the hardest one to sell it at is farmer's markets. Farmers markets are tough. Farm markets are tough. They're not easy because you're dealing with customers directly and you're going to be dealing with a lot of different personalities. You're going to be dealing with a lot of people who say they can't cook or you're going to be answering the question of how should I cook this? Now, with that, I would bring all the kale. I would bring all the kale. Bring your winter board, bring your red board, bring the lacinato, bring your uh Baby kale, bring all of it so that people have options. But I would not bring a ton of all of it either. If you know your uh, farmer's market is not a place where there's a lot of customers coming at once or if it's just building, I would not bring a lot of everything. I probably would just bring 10 bunches of each and leave it at that and see how it do. Because the more that you have it there, the more the people are going to be curious and say, hmm, I might want to try this this week or I might want to try that this week. But again, if your market is not like a super big market and it's not like a ton of people there, don't bring a ton of it with you. Now, again, too, you don't have to look at your prices. A lot of places, some, some places, a lot of people don't want to spend a lot of money on stuff. Or some places, some people don't mind spending a lot of money on stuff. So you want to make sure that you look at the demographics of the farmer's market and see, hey, how much are these people willing to pay for some of this stuff? So when I go to my farmer's market, I notice $3 is the sweet spot. People will pay $3 for some kale. That's the sweet spot. If I try to sell it for four, they're going to say, hey, that's too expensive. If I sell it for two, I'm undercutting myself and I'm underselling myself and I'm not making a profit. $3 seems to be the sweet spot. And now you're probably going to ask, well, how should I package my stuff so I can sell it for $3? If you're doing it in the bags, 
you only want to have maybe if you're doing it in the bags, you're not going to sell it for for three dollars. If you're doing it in the bags and for the bags it's baby kale, if you're doing baby kale, you're probably going to put it. You're probably going to put eight ounces in a bag and sell it for five bucks. Now, everybody's going to be looking like eight ounces ain't a lot. Eight ounces is a lot that can fill up a whole bag. Eight ounces is about a meal for four people. So you want to sell that for five dollars. And people do not mind paying five dollars for eight ounces of baby kale. Now, with your bunches of kale, bunches are basically a bunch of leaves in a bunch with a rubber band. A lot of people are probably going to ask now, how many leaves should I put in my bunch? Now, if it's me for $3, if I'm doing lacinato kale, since there's a lot of kale on that one plant and it's very thin too, you might have to put um, 15 to 18 leaves in a bunch. Because again, you got to think too, I get a lot of kale off of this and these people are probably going to say, hey, this kale is kind of thin. So you're going to have to pack up that bunch. So I would do 15, 18 leaves with the winter boar and the red boar. I only do 10 to 12 leaves because those leaves are going to be huge. They're going to be, they're going to be huge. They're going to be out there. You don't want to pack the thing up with like 20 leaves and sell it for $3 because you're losing money then. 10 leaves and that's all that you need. 10 leaves for $3 That's all that you need, depending on where you at. Now, there's some places where the neighborhood is kind of rich and you can sell it for a little bit more because some people do not mind dropping a quick dub to get some fresh food. So again, it depends on whatever market that you're at. But if you're going to do a farmer's market, bring different varieties of stuff. Some weeks you might not sell it all. Some weeks you might sell all of it, but you need to bring different varieties because you're dealing with multiple, multiple, multiple different personalities. And these people are going to be like, hey, what is this? What is that? What is this? And once you start educating these people more and more on what this stuff is, the more and more they're going to start buying it because now they're accustomed to it. Last weekend at the farmer's market, I had one lady, she came by, well, two weekends ago. I had one lady, she came by, she saw my red board kale. She was like, what kind of kale is this? I told her what it was, told her how you could cook it, told her that is a different type of kale. It's a lot more sweeter than normal kale that you usually taste. And she said, hmm, I'm going to do some research before I buy this. Now, most time people say, oh, when people say they're going to do some research, they're not really going to come back and buy it. That lady, she came back the next weekend and said, I found like five recipes on how to cook some red board kale. I'm going to do some chips. I'm going to do some juicing. I'm going to do this. And she bought up all of my red board kale because she said that she was going to spend that whole week just experimenting with all these different recipes. So now this week, I can't wait to see it again to see how all those recipes came out but that's what i mean by you want to bring different varieties so that people can be educated on what this stuff is so that they can go out and do their own research to see hey how am i i want to be able to do all this stuff so that's a reason why you need to bring a lot of different varieties to the farmers markets but for again for me those are the three places that i highly suggest you use to sell your kale as a csa sell to restaurants or farmer's markets. Now, again, you can sell directly to customers, send out an email blast and say, hey, this is what I have. Tell them this is what kind of kale I have. And if you're selling directly to customers, usually those customers know who you are and you're growing kale that you know that they're going to buy. And so that's a whole different thing too. If you're selling directly to customers, no farmer's market, you're just, it's you and the customer that you build a relation with and they want to buy directly from you. You just tell them what you have and usually you're going to grow whatever they want. Usually when you're selling directly to customers, you kind of have an idea of what the people want. So some, so all the people that you sell to, they might just want winterboard kale. So all you grow is winterboard kale or they might just want baby kale and all you grow is baby kale. Now, again, we're going to go into this other thing about the seasons of when you should really grow this stuff to sell. Spring, you need to sell the pretty looking kale and the baby kale. You want to sell the baby kale because, again, you have a short window of growing this stuff for the spring. It's coming right off of the winter and finna head into the summer. If you're going to grow anything for the spring, I would stick with baby kale 
and I would stick with the normal winter bore and the normal red bore because those are the two prettiest looking ones and the baby kale is the quickest thing that you can harvest and send out. Okay, summer, you might wanna hit up that Bria and see how that Bria does. For the fall, you're gonna want your most nutrient dense kale and that's gonna be that lacinato because also in the fall too, you gotta look at what holidays are finna come up. You finna see Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving people want that hearty, good tasting food, especially down in the South. Now down in the South, everybody gonna think everybody won't call us. I've sold kale to people who cooked it at their Thanksgiving table. So you wanna look at, hey, it's the fall. A lot of people are gonna be eating a lot soon and they're gonna want something with a lot of flavor in it. So you want to grow something that's super nutrient dense and have a lot of flavor in it. So it's gonna be that lacinato kale. And then use that lacinato kale to overwinter and sell that through the winter because again, through the winter, people want a lot of heartier stuff and they want stuff that's gonna taste good too. Because usually if you're somewhere where it's cold, you're gonna, most of the people grow stuff that doesn't have a lot of flavor in it. So you wanna make sure you grow something that has a lot of flavor in it. So if you're up there in Vermont, if you're up there in Vermont, most of the time I see a lot of people in Vermont grow lacinato kale. Cause again, it's the best tasting kale when it's in the cold. But that is it guys. That's a complete uh, produce breakdown of kale. I hope that helped. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope that you guys will be able to go out and say, hey, I can grow kale now and I have a better understanding of how I should do this, especially if you're a farmer and you were trying to figure out how should I sell this? How should I grow this? Where, where should I take this? Hopefully I was able to help you guys with that. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. You can find me again at the Marigold Farmer's Market on Saturday from 10 to 2 in Pitter Park and the Winterville Marigold Farmer's Market in Winterville, Georgia. Um, if you guys have any questions for me, you can ask me anything while I'm out there at the farm market. So I love talking to you guys. But other than that, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. Cozy is out.